Grace Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through His Word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod, and this is our final instalment of the Book of Exodus. We're looking at chapter 35 to the end. And one of the most amazing things about these chapters is how similar they are to chapter 25 to 31, um, almost as if what happened in between never happened. So the elephant in the room, or rather the calf in the room, was this terrible act of idolatry of breaking the covenant, um, of the whole relationship being wrecked, and then Moses interceded, and then God um, revealed his character, his name, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And then they get new stone tablets. And then it's almost like the narrative just picks up as though nothing had ever happened. And almost, uh, yeah, so literally chapter 35, where we left it, verses 1 to 3 were about instruction on the tabernacle. And then it's almost, um, sorry, in, uh, in, that's how where we're beginning 35. Um, and it picks up from 31, 12 to 17, which were... Um, so base section is about the um, the Sabbath day, and it's like the Lord is saying, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like Calvin, you know, he gets banished from Geneva, s- sent to Strasbourg for three years, comes back, enters the sermon, enters the pulpit, and starts halfway through the verse that he was already <laughs> preaching. You know, this is what the Lord just continues as he was going, and it's it's like everything is covered over that happened in between. You could probably actually. Literally, I mean, not that we encourage cutting things out of your Bible, but if you took the whole Golden, golden Calf episode out, you wouldn't notice. It would just read straight through. Yeah, yeah. And then even, I guess another way of the author underlining this is that the instructions that were given before the Golden Calf are then exactly fulfilled after the Golden Calf. And we thought we might read a few of these out just because, I mean, the point's pretty obvious, but just hearing it, you think, wow, it's, it's really exactly the same. Do you want to read the instruction from chapter 25 and I'll read the fulfilment? Yeah, 2531, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes and its flowers shall be one piece with it. Chapter 3717, he made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes and its flowers were of one piece with it. Uh, 28.6, the instruction, and they shall make the ephod of gold of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and of fine twisted linen skillfully worked. Chapter 39, verse 2, he made the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twisted linen. The instruction from chapter 31 to 2, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. Chapter 37, verse 25, he made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its height was a cubit, its breadth was a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. I mean, I think just reading, and there's a lot more where they came from. I mean, every single instruction fulfilled exactly, almost as though it had never happened. I mean, what is this telling us when we look at the whole picture? Instructions, golden calf, new covenant, and then instructions obeyed. So probably two big headlines. One is the fact that we've jumped over the, the sin and forgiveness shows that God is very, very kind and he graciously doesn't just forgive sin but commissions them to do what they'd been told before and helps them to do it so the the lord doesn't um you don't 
we don't get thrown off and onto plan B. You know, mm. in, we're in the um, yeah. the dunce's corner. Um, God continues with His people, and forgiveness and recommissioning is is beautiful. And the fact that it's it is back and it's the same. It's not a kind of compromised plan or a diminished plan, but God wanted a glorious temple in which He would dwell with His people, and He gets that. Yeah, and probably the, the second big headline is the stubbornness of God. He's so inflexible. He, he, no, this is my plan, and I'm going to have it. And it's such comfort to us that um, when the Lord says something, he'll he'll have his way, and not in a coercive um, way, but in a um, he woos his people back and enables them so that his plans get back on course. This is our God. So, in one sense, we could say nothing's changed. You know where it's the plans back on track, but in another way, everything's changed because the people had to be changed. They had hearts that were wayward and went after a golden calf. And he's God is God's forgiveness in between has actually changed the people. It seems they're they're not the same people that they were. Um, at, you know, for the for the better, you know, tr- the grace they've experienced has been transforming grace. And I guess one of the ways that's um, really underlined in in chapter thirty five is the repetition of how their heart is stirred and willing um, and right from verse 5 whoever is of a generous heart let him bring the Lord's contribution and then we pick up in verse 21 everyone whose heart stirred him everyone whose spirit moved him brought the Lord's contribution 22 they came all who were of a willing heart 26 all the women whose heart stirred them 29 all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them. And another little amazing detail, as their heart stirred them, verse 22, they brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and amulets. I mean, obviously that's where their gold was stored in their jewellery, but it's a very poignant echo because it was the same, well, not the same earrings, different earrings, but it was earrings that they had used to make the golden calf as they turned away. And now it's earrings that they used to make this dwelling place for God. So it's like you, you see the change very overtly. And it's deliberately connecting our thoughts back to what's gone before. You know, when was the last time an Israelite held an earring? And it was a very sad story. Mm. So this is a story not just of restoration, but of transformation. And the thing that's made the difference is, well, what we saw last week, the, the work of Moses, the mediator foreshadowing Jesus and the character of God in his grace and mercy. And it really has changed them. So the fact that heartfelt obedience comes through the experience of being forgiven. I mean, this is a massive Bible thing. Yeah, it made me think of um, the Peter experience that you see um, in John's Gospel. So Peter is at the end of John 13. He says, I will lay down my life for you. And he's convinced he's uh, ahead of the other disciples and that he's going to be fine you and me jesus and then jesus is which is very like exodus 24 everything that the lord said will do so there's a there's this sort of strident i love you god i'm going to be for you the zeal of youth where you know the young christian says you know god how high you know uh, just tell me how high to jump and i'll do it sort of thing and then we get jesus saying no look before the cop um craze you'll disown me three times um, and what Peter needs to learn is that it's Jesus who will lay down his life for him. And then by the time we get to chapter 21, Peter's a mess. You know, he's, he's broken down and wept and Jesus approaches him and he commissions him and he says, do you love me? Feed my lambs. 
And what has changed for Peter? I mean, why is he now more qualified to lay down his life? And he gets told he will lay down his life in martyrdom. Well, what's changed is he realises he's a useless failure. So before he had the the love of a, a young recruit, now he mm. has the love of a forgiven sinner. Mm. Um, and it's a different kind of love and it qualifies him to be of use to the Lord Jesus and to be more, um, yeah, to, to be a Christian. So this grace in Exodus is a transforming grace and it's the the grace that all of us recognise in our own lives. You know, the, um, and we see this change in the people. We also see the completion of the tabernacle and its purpose fulfilled. So back in chapter 25, the whole reason for this amazing construction was so that the Lord might dwell in their midst. And then at the very climax of the book, very fun verses of the book, he does. Um, now, the, these last verses, should we read them? I mean, it is possible people read these in a glass half full, glass half empty way. Um, and maybe we could just discuss which is right. I think we both think it's glass half full, but we let's discuss. So this is the, the, the climax of the whole book of Exodus, the final paragraph. The cloud, so that in itself is significant because the cloud in Exodus has been the cloud of God's presence that was um, on the mountain on Mount Sinai and there was in the pillar of cloud at the Red Sea. Now the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So shall I read it glass half empty and then you read it glass half full? So, you know, obviously it's pretty cool because God's glory is there. But Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because of the cloud. So, you know, you could put the emphasis on God's glory is there, but you can't go near him. And that's a real downer to end. and the half full is the other way. So it's a it's a permanent uh, fixture. So throughout all their journeys, right for the next 40 years, God is with them. Um, it's also, um, yeah, the, it's also the, the final words of the book. So the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle um, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So it ends with comfort, uh, with the final words of the book. Um, and it's, it's a lovely in context um there was this discussion um where the lord forgave their sin but said but i can't go with you because i might destroy you yeah and then we had moses intercession and and uh, his revelation of his name and at the end of it he said no i will and that was the restoration that god will dwell in his tabernacle and be in the midst of his people and this is it this is exactly what the the, the immediate context has been working up to he's done what he said and he will dwell with in the glory cloud in the midst of his people and the fact that Moses can't go in um is not really a change from what we've seen before i mean Moses has been god's friend throughout the book and we discovered back in chapter 33 when Moses wanted to see god's glory god said well you can't see my face and live but you can sort of encounter my glory so that wasn't like no Moses we're not friends it was Yes, Moses, I'm going to reveal myself to you. But, of course, I'm God, and seeing me very, would be very dangerous. 
And similarly with Mount Sinai, you know, God was making his covenant with the people, but there were still limits around the mountain saying, don't come too close. So I just take this as a, we're friends, don't come too close there because I'm holy. And and also a bit of a cliffhanger for the book of, Ex- book of Leviticus. So Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting. Well, how will he be able to go into the tent of meeting? Turn over the page, start reading. That's the story of Leviticus, the, the sacrifice that are needed to maintain the presence of a holy God with sinful people. And it carries straight on. So Leviticus 1, 1 is about the Lord calling to Moses from the tent of meeting. So it could, I mean, they were originally together, I think. Um, yeah, so what, one of, when we think about what what's the difference this passage going to make to us, I, I remember you said, Andrew, that the golden calf study is a, is a warning about idolatry and a, a warning about failing to repent from idolatry and the danger of it. How would you characterise this section? Yeah, I think this is very reassuring and it's quite hard to keep the two together and we must keep the two together. So you could give so much reassurance that you said, don't worry if you wander off because it's really fine because God will make it all fine. And that just might encourage dangerous complacency and the New Testament doesn't take it that way it takes the golden calf and says be careful lest you fall so there's a kind of falling away that you can't come back from there's no forgiveness for you know the sort of permanent turning your back on the god who saved you is totally disastrous so we need the warning of chapter 32 but i guess there's somebody else who says well i think i have wandered a bit and i really really want to come back and to that person the bible says you you really can come back and God restores the relationship so perfectly that it's you wouldn't even have known that you'd sinned. God's, you know, I, I like that verse in Romans five where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You know, there's there's enough grace to more than cover the sin. Yeah, and in terms of the the confidence this gives us about God and and the way that His ways will happen, um, I was just reflecting on how when God gets His way he doesn't do it in spite of but with his people and you, you see this um when you look in the book of esther you know the tyrants of this world king ahasuerus and he he the whole chapter is about his glory he can have a 30-day festival all to his own glory incredible wealth huge um uh, you know numbers of servants and so on but not even his wife can t- um turns up you know she's grumpy in in there and all he's got is power he can't actually win someone's hearts that's beyond him um and our god has incredible power and he will get his way but it's not by coercing his people he doesn't put a, pu- a gun to the israelites head he he wins their hearts and then eventually they they do what he wanted them to do in, in the beginning but with willing hearts and gladly and um, it gives me great excitement that not only is is god wonderfully going to get fulfill his all his plans but he'll get us there um you know he, he can do the change that's required in us to get us uh, to cooperate in the plans mm. um, which is a glorious truth um one little final thing um, that I loved was at the end of chapter 39 which um, is not obvious at first but I'll, I'll read it and then we'll to sort of notice something so it's kind of summing up having finished the whole load of um, construction according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses say the people of Israel had done all the work Moses saw all the work behold they done it as the Lord commanded so they done it and Moses blessed them 
And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it just sounds a little bit Genesis 2 to me. So at the end of creation on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, God saw all that he'd made and then he blessed it. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And this Sabbath, that is the completion and an enjoyment of this paradise where God dwells with the people. And it's true of Eden, the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the Bible, and it's true of the tabernacle here. And um, the, the, the principle of the Sabbath all the way through the Bible, it, it symbolises the world as it should be with men and God, men and women and God in relationship as they were meant to be. And that is a great blessing. And I think that's the wonderful picture of the work of Exodus restored. And you think where we started, we're slaves in Egypt, thinking God's forgotten us. And where are we now? He's rescued us. He's given us covenant relationship. And he's given more grace when there was sin. And, and now God and his people together in a blessed Sabbath, you know, Eden-like paradise. Yeah. And other particular take-homes from the whole book? We've come to the end of a several-week series over the whole book. And uh, it might be good just to think not just from this section, but um, more generally um the, the take homes i think for me one of them is um uh how god reveals himself this is one of the repeated themes is um and then they will know that i am the lord he rescues you and just god's determination that he will be known throughout the earth um he he wants to be known amongst his people he wants to be known amongst the egyptians he wants to be known with jethro's people who only ever like us hear of it and yet hear and make it our own. And um, it's it's a wonderful thing that God has this incredible determination. That is the reason why thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, we've been caught up in, in God's family because this is his great heart, that he will be known um, amongst the nations. And I guess it's amazing that if you say, what is God like? The Bible's answer, first and foremost, isn't adjectives. I mean, you can give adjectives and the Bible does. God is holy and... God is righteous and you know there's adjectives you could use but another way of doing it is saying well let me tell you a story about God and then you'll know what he's like I'm this kind of God the God who rescues and then dwells with his people oh that's that's the kind of God we need yeah um I I think um I've learned a lot about the importance of Moses so I mean obviously Moses is you know the one who holds the staff that parts the Red Sea and, and so on but just the st- the story arc that Moses is on from being a, a reluctant um, servant of God in the beginning, he doesn't want to go, to being a, a bold representative of God and a mediator both ways round. So Moses is the one who represents God to the people. He tells them what God says. He passes on, he's a prophet, you know, the, the great prophet, passes on God's word to the people. But then also he's a great priest because he pleads the people's case before God. And Moses is the go-between in both directions, between heaven and earth. And, you know, the way in which this foreshadows Jesus in, in, both, in both ways. Yeah. It's been an amazing book. Um, I think the other challenge, I guess, is if you say to somebody, what is the book of Exodus about? I mean, the, a lot of people, or myself included, instinctively stop at chapter 15 so you get then you realize that's less than half the book so the exodus escaping from egypt is less than half the book and then you go oh okay it's the escape from egypt and then it's the giving of the law in relationship okay that's got you to halfway through the book 
but the whole but you have to include this he's rescued his people he's given he's established this relationship with his law but he wants to dwell with them and the the presence of god as the ultimate climax of the book is um, you know we, we ought to celebrate that achievement of the gospel it's not just we're forgiven from hell it's not just we know how to live now so we don't waste our lives it's god is with us and present amongst us amen thank you for listening to grace pod for more information about grace church greenwich visit www.greenwich.church